morning. I'm glad that you're here, here and online. Good morning. I'm, I'm just thankful every time you show up, and, and I'm thankful for the privilege to be able to bring the Word of God each week. And I want to do that. I want, without taking any other time, because we have a lot to cover. This is the last of the series, In Not Of. And today we're going to talk about that all-important, all-exciting thing called suffering. Everyone all in favor of suffering? Everyone just can't wait for the next time that you have opportunity to suffer? Um, it's the last leg of our journey in First Peter. So if you have a Bible or you want to get a Bible, we're going to be in... First Peter. Um, I'm putting the text up because we're not going verse by verse, but I'm giving you the passage, passages out of which I'm drawing the message for today. So you'll see them there. We'll leave them there for a second so that those are, I know we have a lot of folks who love to take notes. So you can jot them down and then all of our references throughout the message is going to be drawn out of those, um, those passages. Okay. But in, in, the third chapter, uh, verse 8, the very first word you'll, you'll read, at least in my translation, Peter says, finally. All right, now, how many of you know what that means when a preacher says that? Why? Nothing. That's right. It, means, it, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, a lot of times there's numerous finalies, um, and, and I've been guilty of that, and I'll try not, not to do terribly well or bad today, but... Um, he says, finally, in other words, in the light of. So in, in 30 seconds, here's where we've been in this, in this study. Peter started, he's talking to this group of scattered Christians who are under great pressure. And he started by reminding them of their identity in Christ, that they, are, they, they don't just have this religious thing, that they are actually in Christ. And, and out of that identity, they draw their sense of being. Um, they, they know who they are. All right, then he talked about holiness, that we're called as, because we're identified in Christ, our life is in Christ, we're called to a life of holiness, which gives us a sense of purpose. Uh, because to be holy means to be set aside for God's use, for God's purposes. So we, we draw a sense of purpose in our lives when we are identified with Christ and, and we live our lives in him. Then he talked about submission, living in submission to God. In everything, every area, every area of life, making sure that we are submitted to God, which gives us a sense of freedom. It's for freedom Christ has set us free. And don't, be in, don't submit again to the things that held you in bondage. Stand in the freedom by which Christ has given to us by living a life submitted to God so that all those freedoms you can take advantage of. So then that's what Peter means when he says, finally. He says, now I'm going to give you my last lesson. Peter's telling us of, of, this, of his letter that he's writing. He's going to talk about this thing called suffering. But by definition, suffering simply means to endure pain, discomfort, or hardship. For some reason, in some area, in some way. And, and that, that's a, a broad definition. That covers a lot of territory. Let's pray. And then we'll get into God's word for today. Father, I, I want to just ask that you would, by your spirit, just hover over this time. Jesus, you said you, you would send your spirit and he would take of you. He's take, he would take what you've done, what you've said. He would take you and he would declare it to us. So Holy Spirit, do that today. Declare the word of God into our hearts, into our minds, into our spirits. And, and let us be transformed by that word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me do some groundwork as, as we get into this sub subject of suffering. Suffering, 
um, has a single source. It comes to us in many different forms, but it has a single source. All suffering, in any area, if it's suffering, it comes from one place. It's, it's the result of the fact that we live in a fallen world. Single source. The, the, God, the, the world that God gave us isn't the world we live in. So quiet. Do you understand that? Everyone get that? The, the world that God gave us at creation isn't the world we live in. We now live in a fallen world. We live in a condition, in a state of being that was not the original design for us. We live in a fallen world, and that, because we live in that state, that is the single source for any and all suffering that we may experience. Romans 8, 18 to 22 says this, Yet what we suffer is nothing to compare to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all of creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Listen, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But we eagerly hope the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to this present time. When Adam fell, all creation was affected. When Adam fell, that fall was disastrous. Everything broke. Man's relationship with God, broken. Man's relationship with each other, broken. Man's relationship with himself, broken. Man's relationship with creation, broken. And with that brokenness comes all human suffering. With that fall, human suffering entered the scene in our world. Now, that single source comes to us in a variety of forms. And this probably is not an exhaustive list. And if you take notes, just jot them down. I'll, I'll just go through them quickly. I won't make a lot of comment on them because it's not the burden of our message today. But it comes to us in many forms. Natural disasters are a form of suffering. And the Bible says in the last days that the, the, the earth will grow, that those natural disasters will increase. And we've seen that in our time. Uh, last year, Reuters, Reuters reported that natural disasters have surged in the last 20 years. With all the record-keeping they've done, they see this constant increase. It seems like the earth is groaning. It seems like the earth is longing for Christ's return. Secondly, man's inhumanity than man. Sometimes we suffer just because of the way we treat each other. Sometimes we suffer just because of, of how people act. Sometimes we suffer from actions of people that aren't even directly in our sphere, but we get the overflow. We, get the, the, we feel the outcome of choices and decisions that others have made. You know, on one hand, man is capable of such, such wonderful expressions of, of care and compassion for one another. And on this, on this, in the same breath, man is, is, is capable of, of such horrendous acts of violence and, and inflicting pain on one another as well. Thirdly, demonic influence. Demonic influence is often a form of suffering. Now, the devil does a great job because he's starting, started starting to erase that as a reality in our lives. He's starting to make even Christians forget about the fact that there's a spirit realm in which he moves and operates, and that from that realm he can affect this realm, that, that he can act in this realm. Peter says in, in his writings, the enemy goes around like, like a roaring lion, 
with a purpose, and that's to devour people. Paul tells the Ephesians that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. My problem is in you, and your problem is in me. That, that there are other forces behind those things that are actually pulling the strings, that are causing them. There, there are strongholds that the enemy sets up, footholds that he sets up in our hearts and minds. You know, one of the reasons, one of the major reasons, I believe at least, why the church in our land seems to be losing the cultural war is because we're fighting the wrong enemies. We're fighting the wrong enemies. We're, we're, we're fighting one another, or we're fighting the culture, or we're fighting... Um, movements or we're fighting Washington or we're fighting whatever it is we're fighting, but we're not fighting the source. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And until we start fighting the right enemy, I don't know that we'll gain a whole lot of ground. Fourthly, sometimes we suffer just from our own dumb choices, from our own willfulness, from our own sinfulness and fleshliness. Sometimes we just choose to do things that ultimately bring us suffering. All right. In the text, Peter's talking largely about the fifth form of suffering. That, and this form only applies to Christians. Only sons and daughters of God will ever experience this kind of suffering. In verse chapter thirteen, verse fourteen, he says, "Even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed." There's a suffering that comes along with knowing Christ. There's a suffering that, could, that we may experience in life just because we've given our lives to Jesus. Now, remember, Peter's writing this letter to a church that's under tremendous persecution. And he's trying to put it in a framework so they will understand and be encouraged that, that suffering has, has, can be noble. That's, that suffering can, can have a, a cause and a purpose attached to it. Now, in our culture, in, in American um, Christian theology, um, when you talk about Christian suffering in, in some of the teachings we've had over the last, uh, you know, maybe 30 or 40 years, um, there, were, there were times where you think that that's an oxymoron, that, that suffering and, and being a Christian, don't, they don't go hand in hand. If you're a Christian and you're really a Christian, then, and, you're be, and you're, especially if you're pursuing righteousness, that, that suffering shouldn't even be on the table. Blessing, of course, but, but not suffering. We, we're, we're suppo- if we're walking in righteousness, then we're supposed to be blessed. And if we're blessed, that means we're successful and we're prosperous and, we're, and, we're, and you know, we're, everything sort of goes our way. We have, we have comfort and we have conveniences. And, and those can be and are part of sometimes just God's goodness in our life. And I'm not demeaning them, but I'm telling you that when, when we make that the definition of what life in Christ is, then we have problems because if you try and preach that message to our brothers and sisters who are in China or in Iraq or in Iran or, or in Russia, they're going to scratch their head and wonder what Bible you're teaching from because they don't understand that. Peter's saying that if you suffer for righteousness sake, you're blessed. It's an interesting combination. He puts suffering and blessing all in the same. They coexist. Did you know that? You can be suffering and and blessed all at the same time. We don't always think of it in that terms, but we need to understand, especially in Christian America, that we're not exempt from suffering because we're Christians. Sometimes that could even be the reason that we suffer. Or sometimes we we think we're suffering for righteousness' sake because we've experienced rejection 
But if we really analyze the source of the rejection, it's not for righteousness' sake. Most of the times, it's because of self-righteousness. Most of the time, it's because we're presenting ourselves in such a way that feedback comes back, and we can mistake that as, I'm suffering for the Lord, I'm suffering for... Have you ever had someone tell you, a brother and sister in the Lord, you know, I I need to tell you something in love. Know what that's Christianese for? Duck. <laughs> Duck. That means you're, you're going to hear something in, in the next few sentences. It, it means duck. You know, have you ever read things online and, and, and social media? And, and you can just tell that, that they're trying to, it's not just the general post, that, that the person is aiming at something. There's a reason behind what they're saying. They're trying to make a point. They're trying to prove themselves right on some issue. And, and, then, and then those folks sometimes are, are surprised when they get negative feedback back, when they get people who contradict them or challenge them on that. And they can mistakenly say, I'm, I'm suffering for the Lord. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're suffering because of self-righteousness. You're suffering because you, you want to make yourself right and being right and being righteous are often two very different things. I hope we've, we've figured that out. Suffering for righteousness' sake is pain or discomfort or hardship that we experience because we're a follower of Christ, and that reason only. Because we are living lives and, and our nature is reflecting his, our, our words are reflecting his, our, our heart is reflecting his, and in, in that scenario, sometimes... When we reflect a Christ-like nature in this world, we get blowback. Sometimes that fact alone brings to us. In fact, Jesus said, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if the world treats you the way they treated me. John 15, verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. So you're in good company. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world... Say, not of the world. But I chose you out of the world. Say, out of the world. Doesn't that sound like a good series title? In and not of? Someone ought to think that up. Therefore, the world hates you. Just because you know Christ. Just because you love Christ. That's what suffering for righteousness' sake is. Peter had a PhD in in what? suffering for righteousness sake looks like. He, he had three years with Jesus, following Jesus. He saw up front what righteous living could cost you, what living for the Lord or, or, or in obedience to God, what it could cost you. He saw the price Jesus paid in order to redeem you and redeem me. He saw the scorn and the ridicule, and he heard the mocking and, and the scoffing, and he, and, he, and he saw the rejection and the disloyalty and the betrayal and the hatred that, that was spewed out on Jesus. He was there when Jesus was arrested and put on trial and falsely charged and falsely convicted. He saw the humiliation, the beating, the flogging. He saw the crucifixion. He was right there, the price of living righteous in an unrighteous world. No wonder in verse four, or chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Beloved, don't be surprised of the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you 
as though something strange were happening. Don't be surprised if you're really living your life for Christ that every now and then, with that comes some hardship, some difficulty, some challenge, a price to be paid. Because if you're going to live this life, that life's going to be tested. If you're going to walk this walk, that walk is going to be tested. Righteousness isn't righteousness until it's tested. The Bible says of Jesus, our high priest, that in order to become our high priest, he had to be tested in everything, in all areas of life. There's nothing that can face us that he didn't experience a form of testing and temptation in that area. The wise man who wrote Proverbs says this, the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests their hearts. There's a reason silver and gold's fired. It's to purify it. It's so that it'll be more valuable, so that it comes out as something pure and shining and, and uh, invaluable to the owner. Isaiah puts it this way, the prophet. He says, Behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. In the furnace of trouble. How do we know if our righteousness stands? Well, we may have to experience some trouble in order to, for it to be tested, in order for it to be refined, in order for it to be purified in us, that life of Christ. Christ comes into us fully at salvation, but how, you, how many of you know that we have a process to go through in order to really reflect him more and more and more, and it's a lifelong process. In Isaiah 48, which we, we just quoted, God is telling his people that their suffering, and they had been through a lot, but their suffering had a reward attached to it. Their suffering had a purpose. Their pain had a purpose attached to it. He's saying that, that because it prepared you for a new thing. If you read the 48th chapter of Isaiah, you're going to hear the Lord telling his people through the prophet, I have something to tell you I've never told anyone. I have something to tell you that I've never told you before. I have something to tell you that you're not aware of, and it's going to make all of that, everything else, it's going to make it worthwhile. And from that point, as you study the book of Isaiah, his, his prophecy shifts. And for the, from verses 49 to 55, and especially chapters, or not verses, chapters, especially chapter 53. Take some time today or pull aside and just read chapter 53 because the new thing that's introduced to the people of God as a result of this furnace of affliction was that he starts talking about the revelation of Messiah. He starts telling them about the coming of Christ. He starts saying that, that there's, a, there's one coming. So what, what we're learning is that it was suffering that led them to this qualification to receive and understand a fuller revelation from God. A revelation of Christ himself. The furnace. Have you ever noticed, if you've ever gone through any kind of suffering, and from any form of suffering, have you ever noticed that that furnace of affliction refocuses your attention back to Christ? Did you ever notice that? That Jesus is great and you love him and you care about him, but boy, let, the, let pressure get come. Let the heat be turned up, and suddenly you're praying more, you're reading your Bible more, you're going to church more, you're trying to encourage other people more, you're looking for ways to serve more. There's, there's something about affliction, there's something about suffering that refocuses us because priorities now become important. And, and as Christians, there's something in us that knows 
what's truly important, what's really important. In the text of uh, of 1 Peter, verses 8 to 10 in the fifth chapter, he talks about the hardships that we may face in standing for Christ and living for Christ because we have an adversary, he says. There's an adversary, the devil, who's going around and he's looking to bring hardship your way. And, and he says, don't be, don't be surprised by that. In fact, he says it's common for brothers and sisters all around the world to have that same experience, have that common experience. And then in verse 10, he says, but after you've suffered a little while. Don't, don't you wish that wasn't in Scripture? After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. Listen, even in suffering, God knows where you are. Even in times of suffering and, and pressure and, and strain and hardship, God never abandons his own. Even in the midst of the furnace of, of affliction, God knows where you are and he knows the things that are standing against you. Even at that point, and then especially at that, at that point, we can rely on the truth of his word. He who began a good work will continue to perform it. To the day of Christ. He's going to continue to make us, every one of us, more and more like Jesus. Every day of our life, he's going to be faithful to perform it. Every day of our lives, he shows up in our lives to perform it, whatever comes our way. And if it's hardship that comes our way, he will use it to refine us. It says, it doesn't always say that that good work he's performing will be comfortable. There's no promise of that. We, we hear good work and we think, oh, this is lovely. It's just always going to be this wonderful picnic with Jesus. No, it's not. He said he's, the work he's doing is a good work. But it may have some discomfort attached to it in order for it to be accomplished. All right? That's foundation. Now I want to talk to you about practical application. There, there's this furnace of affliction. Has anyone ever experienced a furnace of affliction? In, in any area of life, any area of life, come on, it's just way of, you've had hardship, you've had trouble, you've, you've faced difficult things in life. It's common to all of us. What are we supposed to do at those times? How do we stay the course? How do we not let those times knock us over? How do we not let those things, those experiences um, uh, um, have their way with us? Well, and that's where Peter wants to go in, in his letter to this, this suffering church. And, and so I want to talk to you about protocols in the furnace of affliction. Protocols in the furnace of affliction. What do we do when we're in those positions? And to do that, I, I want you to go back in, in your scripture to Daniel 3. And it's such a well-known story, but we're going to revisit. There's a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know that Babylon has come in and has decimated Jerusalem. We know that um, King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, has taken out of Jerusalem not only the, the material riches, but has t took out all the, the, the best and brightest of, of the people. And included in that was Daniel and, and his three friends, these, these four Hebrew boys. Um, and and we, we know the story that they excelled. They, they just excelled above all the other Young people who were there because they were brought and being, were trained to serve King Nebuchadnezzar, to serve in the palace. And God blessed them. And they had risen now 
in, in power and in position because of God's blessing and God prospering them. Well, there came a time in the third chapter where King Nebuchadnezzar had this great idea and, and went out into this massive plain and he had erected for himself a 90-foot statue, an image, an idol of himself, and he covered it with gold. And this is on this occasion, he's calling all of the leaders He's calling every government official. If you had any kind of position in Babylon at all, whether, whether you were the dog catcher or you were the highest ranking official under, under King Nebuchadnezzar, um, which probably would have been Daniel, by the way, um, he called them out into this big plane, and he had the musicians there, and he said, here's what's going to happen. Um, they're going to play music, and when you hear the music... Everyone's to bow before the idol. By that, making, making, giving worship and, and paying homage to this great king, Nebuchadnezzar. And that's exactly what happened. Now, you know the story that, that as soon as that was over, there, there's some folks that, that call, the Bible calls them Chaldeans, describes as some, some Chaldeans. Um, if we translate that in a very loose translation, it means tattletales. Okay, that's my translation. They came to, to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now remember, these are other leaders, and, and they probably hated Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They probably hated the fact that these Jewish boys had such position of prominence and power and had the ear of the king and that they would show, show themselves to be trustworthy. And they come in, they tell the king that they, hey, they didn't do it. They didn't do it. Obviously, King Nebuchadnezzar was not aware of that reality. And, and so the king calls them and says, guys, what's going on here? And he was a little upset at them. And he said, but and shows perhaps how much he valued them, because instead of immediate punishment, he said, you know what? Maybe you didn't really understand the rules or maybe you got there late and we had already made the announcement. So you didn't know what was going on. So we're just going to give you another. We're going to wipe the slate clean. We're going to play the music again. And you have a chance now. And, and then everything's cool. And we all we can all go to lunch. Um, point being this, in, in times of suffering, in times of temptation, there, there's always going to be a way to avoid the furnace. All right? Compromise. There's, there's always going to be a way to simply violate what God expects of us and go along with whatever's easy or whatever we think will be the easiest way out or around whatever that thing is. So let's listen to the account. After the king has made this opportunity available to these three Hebrew boys, Daniel 3 will pick up the story in verse 16. And I'm just going to read it. I didn't put it on the screen. I want you to just hear it again um, as, as a story out of the word of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he'll deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And the text goes on and says, now the king's really upset, and he orders the furnace heated seven times of what it was. He told the soldiers, tie them up, bind them hand and foot, throw them in the fire which they did. And the heat, just the heat of the flame, it says that the soldiers who threw them in died just from the heat of the flame. We jump down to verse 24. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, Did we cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, O true, O king. And he said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together. They all crowded around and they saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies, over the bodies of these men. Their hair on their head was not singed, their clothes were not harmed, no smell of fire or smoke had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they set aside the king's, the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Hallelujah. Any people, nation, language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Their houses will be laid in ruins, for there is no other God who's able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which must have really ticked off the tattletalers. Now with that story as a backdrop, okay, with that story fresh in our mind, Let's look at, we're going back to Peter in the third chapter, verses 14 and 16, and we're going to find the protocols. When, when, when you're faced with a fiery furnace, when you maybe feel like you're in the midst of a fiery furnace, there's, there's protocols that Peter has for us, just practical advice for us that I think is worth spending a couple minutes on this morning. Okay, number one, look for the favor in the furnace. Look for the favor of God in the furnace. God doesn't suspend his goodness or his presence or his strength or his encouragement just because we're in a difficult time. God isn't unaware of where we are or unconcerned about where we are or inactive about where we are. But the reality is the only way sometimes we can know the favor of God is we have to be in a position where we need favor. Sometimes the only way we can really recognize or understand the grace of God is to experience things where the only thing that's going to save us and hold us and keep us is God's grace. And the only way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could experience the favor of God was from in the furnace. Now there's sometimes, and I'm glad when God chooses to work in in our lives and, and keeps us from the furnace, but sometimes there's some things that we can only learn in the furnace. And even in those moments, God is still good and God is still gracious. And God, if you'll have eyes to see, God will still favor you. You'll feel his grace and know his grace in the, in the hottest heat of your furnace. Secondly, there's no need to be afraid in the furnace. No, there's no need to be afraid in the furnace. The story says that they bound them hand and foot, and threw them in. Um, but in the furnace, those restrictions, those, those chains fell off. They were gone. We know by King Nebuchadnezzar's response. Didn't we throw in some three guys who were tied up? Well, how come I see four guys who aren't tied up at all? 
the, the, the chains, the ropes, the things that limited and restricted them, which should have killed them in the furnace, were gone. And the enemy comes to us in those times of, of affliction, in those times of difficulty, and, and his two lead um, weapons that he uses against us is fear and anxiety. Because fear and anxiety can paralyze us. Fear and anxiety can, can, can just um, make us succumb to the, to the flames and the heat of the situation. When, when they first approached the king before being thrown in, what, what was their confidence that our God can deliver us, will deliver us? But if not, even if he doesn't, they had such a confidence in God that it, it really doesn't matter. We're on God's side. And God's going to see to it that whatever's supposed to happen will happen. And we're okay with that. We're okay with that. Sometimes they call that the dark night of the soul. If you ever had those moments where it came down to just saying, God, if, if this is going to cost me my life, so be it. Because I won't sacrifice my walk with you. I won't sacrifice my relationship with you. Because I know you're God and I know you're good. And whatever you do is right. That's surrender in the midst of affliction. Thirdly, keep your affection fixed in the furnace. Keep your affections fixed. Fixed on what? Fixed on the perfection of Christ, the holiness of Christ. In the story, they were just convinced God's going to do what's right. God's going to do what needs to be done in his time, in his way, and for our good by his definition of good in this circumstance. That's hard to do. It's a hard prayer to make. But if we let our affection for him be affected by the pressure we're under, then we become vulnerable to give in to other affections, to include other affections, to let our heart wander. Fourthly, don't lose your focus in the furnace. When you have difficult times that come upon you, don't, don't lose your focus. See, if the enemy can't stop you, he'll at least try to shut you up. He'll at least try to keep you from talking to anybody else. And hope in suffering, it says always be prepared to, to give a defense of the hope that's in you. And that, that includes in difficult times, not just when things are going wonderful. Be ready to give a report, an account of that hope that's in you. Be able to give a reason for it, because hope is supernatural. Hope, especially in a, in a furnace, hope becomes supernatural, and other people will notice, and other people may wonder. You know, we're going through some difficult times just as a nation. Our whole nation is suffering with a, a, a list of things over this past year, and we're, we're so aware of what those things are. But I hope that the people that we are in contact with, that, that whether they know the Lord, and especially if they don't, I, I hope that they're noticing a hope in us. Where they're wondering, well, how come you're not all upset about that? Well, how, how are you keeping your equilibrium? Don't you really understand what's going on? Don't you know how bad this is? Whatever their this is happens to be. There's a hope that others will notice. And in the story, not only that, as a result of their hope in God, the whole nation heard about God. The whole nation now lived under a new decree that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is not a God to be trifled with. He's a God to be honored. He's a God to be respected. 
because of this hope, because they kept hope alive, even faced with the furnace. Number five, be kind in the crucible. It says, keep hope alive and, and make it known, but do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. Be kind in the crucible. See, our climate shouldn't change our character. We shouldn't become a different person because we're suffering, because we're in discomfort. And, and we can't hide behind that as an excuse. We, we can't lower our character just because we're, we have pain in some area. And we can't say, well, you know, I have a reason. We have to be very, very careful. Our, our crisis shouldn't contaminate our conscience. We shouldn't start trying to rationalize things to, to justify bad behavior just because we're in a time of difficulty. Know what's wonderful about this story that's applicable in this point? That on the other side of the furnace, on the other side of this test, of this trial, on the other side of the, the, the furnace of affliction, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were finally released and brought out, know what's wonderful about it? They had nothing to regret or apologize for. Isn't that great? I wish I could always say that about me. That I went through a difficult time, and on the other side of it, I, had, I just got all A's. I had nothing to go back and have to fix or correct or repent of or, or change or adjust. You can't compromise your values and beliefs just because you're in a difficult time. If anything, you have to lean into those values and beliefs. Lean into the person of Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, he is our only hope. He is our only help and our only strength. Number six, the last one, faithfulness is revealed in the furnace. In this story, they weren't really, they weren't being attacked because they didn't bow down. That, that really was a, a, something that his, their enemies were using as a reason. But that's, that's not really what was going on. The, the attack that was being made was of their faith. They were being attacked because of their life of faith. They were being attacked because of their stand um, as, as believers in Jehovah God. And they were hated because of that. The flames actually then served to, to validate the extent of their faith, the purity of their faith, the strength and power of their faith. They wouldn't, there's an old chorus, they wouldn't bend, they wouldn't bow. As a result, they wouldn't burn. Their faith stood strong. But understand, faithfulness has to be tested, just like righteousness. How do we know if we're faithful? We have to have opportunity to not be. You have to be tempted in areas where you have the choice to not be. And faith stands. And when faith stands in the, in the flames, faith is purified. Faith is justified. Faith, faith is, is, is magnified in our lives. And the wonderful thing is we, we never have to defend ourselves in those situations. We just have to remain faithful. We don't have to come up with, you know, go hire attorneys and come up with all these defense arguments in those moments. We just have to remain faithful to God and do only what he would tell us to do and continue to reflect the character and nature of Christ in those moments. 
Chapter 5, verse 6 says, humble yourself under the hand of the Lord at the right time. At the right time, he'll exalt you. At the right time, he'll bring you up and out. At the right time, you'll, <laughs> you'll hear Nebuchadnezzar say, come out and come here. But you have to leave that in his hands. You've got to let God and trust God in the furnace of affliction. It's our only hope. Suffering comes. Just, just know that suffering comes. I wish I could tell you that, boy, when we give our lives to Jesus, if we really love him, if we're really following him, then, then life is just going to be perfect. You're never going to have another problem, never having another challenge. Um, everybody's going to love you. Nobody's going to stand against you. you know, the, the sky's going to be blue every day. You know, it's just going to be clear sailing. But life has proven that's not true. Life has proven that even though we love the Lord and we belong to him, we're sons and daughters of God, we have eternal life planted inside us, we also know that it rains on the just and the unjust. We know that we live in a fallen world, and sometimes we, we feel the repercussions of what that is and what that means. We know that we're called by God to live in but not of the world around us, and sometimes that may mean suffering on some level to some degree just because of our stand and our position. But even if the form of suffering we're experiencing isn't specifically for a, st a stand of righteousness, even if it's from one of those other air things on the list, those one of the other types on the list that we, that we talked about, even then, these protocols apply. They apply across the board to any form of suffering that can come our way. First Peter ends that passage by saying, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. While doing good. It's better to suffer, since we're all going to suffer anyway, since, this, since suffering is sort of like written into being alive on the planet, and we don't go looking for it, we don't invite it, we don't like it when it shows, but since it, it can and may be part of our existence from time to time, it's better to the best of our ability, to the best of the things that we can control and determine, it's better that we suffer for pursuing God than, to pers than for pursuing a life without him or pursuing just our own way. It's better to suffer for obeying and following God's will than for violating it, than for disobeying it. We're, we're in an interesting time in, in our life as a nation and just in our lives, as, at least in my life, I've never faced times like these before. These are strange days for the church, and I believe this, for every Christian, for you and for me, along with what the whole nation is experiencing for us, on top of that, it's also a test. It's also a furnace of affliction. It's also God using current events to refine us, to purify us, to give us opportunity to see what's in our hearts, to, to let the flames burn off any dross, any chaff that doesn't belong there, but to purify and strengthen that which is good that which is like him. 
We should be responding in these times different than everyone else because for us, this is a time and an opportunity for refinement. And it's an opportunity, if we'll walk through it properly, where we'll have opportunity to tell others who will ask you about the hope that's in you. Let's stand. Praise the Lord. In not of, this ends the series. I hope it's been beneficial to you. The, the burden of my heart, and I think I told you at the beginning, when, when the Lord laid and gave me this direction, I really didn't want to do it, in all honesty. And it's been one of the harder series that I've had to teach because of the subject matter. But I believe God is calling his church in this day. He's calling us to a great, higher level of maturity. He's calling us to, to be willing, if called on, or if necessary, to, to be able to stand in difficult times. And to be different. To be in, but not of. And that's the church he can use. That's the church that he can bring transformation to and through. That's the church who can make a difference in the world. And I want us to be that church. I want to be that church. So heed the advice that comes to us from St. Peter. Heed it. Apply it to your lives. Let the word of God, even though there weren't a lot of moments perhaps in this series where you just wanted to jump up and shout. Sometimes we need to be still and endure and embrace and take in. I pray it's strengthening your life because I believe that's what the Lord is trying to do to his church in this country. He's trying to strengthen us and call us to a higher level of commitment to him. Even if difficulties come even if some of the requirements aren't as fun as we would like them to be. These are interesting days. And the solution's not going to come from Washington, and the solution's not going to come from different organizations and movements. The true solution is held within the confines of the church of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word. We have a job to do. We have a job to do. And it's going to take mature sons and daughters to hear it, understand it, and be it. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that even, even through your word, as you teach us deeper things in you, as you, as you call us to deeper and higher callings in you, you, you're actually showing what kind of confidence you place in us. And Lord, you're never wrong. So Father, there is within us the capacity to continually grow in character and understanding in power and might regardless of what's happening around us so father we just commit ourselves to you again fresh today lord i pray for any brothers and sisters who who are right now in a a specific area of of difficulty and suffering Lord, physically, relationally, financially, emotionally, spiritually. Lord, Lord, I pray you strengthen them from your word today. I pray you give them power. And God, I pray you deliver them through the circumstance they find themselves in. I pray for all of us that in this culture, in this setting, Father, we will be salt and light. Lord, that we would be the church of Jesus Christ that stands and is a different voice than all the other voices around us. 
that sees life clearer than all the other folks who are coming up with their interpretations of what should be or why it is. Lord, I pray that we be children of God, children of light, and that we would radiate, reflect that light in our world, in our journey each day. God, I thank you for your people, and I pray you bless them and keep them. I pray you guard over them. I pray you pour your goodness into them. I pray you grow them in you more and more day by day. I pray you enliven them and enrich them. I pray, Father, that they see the manifestation of your presence in their lives, that that which is invisible in the kingdom becomes more and more visible and tangible to them as they pursue you in all of their ways. So God, let your blessing rest on your people today and in this coming week. Lord, may we seek you earnestly and may you show yourself to us in ways we've never even seen you before. Seal your word in our heart by your Holy Spirit. Let it bring a fruitfulness for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Thank you for being here today online. God bless you. Um, We'll be over for dinner in just a minute.